Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. Quentin, I got a full belly of tacos. Let's talk about some motorbikes. Yeah, I've got a quasi full belly of uh, Ninkasi Total Domination. This is an Oregon beer. It's delicious. It's an IPA. You like your IPAs, don't you? I do, I have to admit. Some days I, I like a good Corona. Right. I have no problem with the Corona, but some days I want to, uh, especially in the, I think that's a Northwestern thing. Just kind of, I don't know, lusty beers, dark nights, lots of rain. You want something with some taste. Yeah. Right. And it helps me not just pound them because, you know, I like to sip. I can, I couldn't tell you the difference between uh, a Corona and I know you couldn't, but that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. I'm not educated enough. No, I was very bummed because I went by Apex. It's, I don't know if you call it Apex Brewing. It's it's a, a well-known bar. It's a beer bar more than anything in uh, southwest, southeast Portland. And uh, they have this something called Pliny the Elder. It's a very good beer. Uh, it's made in California, Russian River Brewing. And I, I can think totally it's, hear you rubbing your chest, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> oh. so gross. You have no idea how uh, gross that is over, uh, the, uh, over the headset. <laughs> um, and I know there's no chest hair. There's nothing there. No. <laughs> Just bald as a baby's butt. I don't know if it's bald, but I have little little hairs, oh, yeah. but not you, you a lot. Gotta, you got to do some manscaping. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's... I mean, is that good radio? Is I don't that, think it's good radio. Uh, right? It's not a good visual. Chest hairs up. <laughs> chest hairs up. Oh, my God. If I get one email that says chest hairs up, I quit. That's it. I'm done. I, I have to put up with enough of this kickstands up nonsense. If I get a chest hairs one, that's it. You've heard, you've listened to the last fucking podcast. <laughs> guys are all assholes. <laughs> all right. So anyway, Russian River, it's in Santa Rosa. And it's a very good beer. I like that or Blind Pig. I actually prefer Blind Pig, but I had a hankering for it. I went by the place and they have it on tap. But they don't have it in bottles, so... What are they coming up with these names? Blind Pig? It's actually a very big problem for beer and wine is coming up with names that aren't used. Sure. Right? There's so many breweries making so many beers and getting that name right off the bat. It's very difficult. So Pliny the Elder, I can't remember the story, but it's... it's. Uh, I'm not going to try. I don't even want to. There's a story. There's a story There's there. a very good story right. with that one. Yeah. That's probably like how like when I'm in the wine section and I'm just just glazed over and i just like menage a trois that's probably a good wine <laughs> you know whatever for the three of us yeah i'm just buying i'm just buying labels like oh that's a good looking label that looks, that's because it doesn't matter you know what that's called marketing right because wine is all the same <laughs> well beer is amazingly different each uh, one but all wine is the same it all tastes like i'm gonna make a lot of people opinion. angry by saying that but i do not yeah 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 I wonder what the Venn diagram is on two enthusiast podcast listeners and wine connoisseurs. <laughs> wine connoisseurs. Probably more than you'd imagine. If, oh, yeah. I wonder how many sommeliers we have listening to us. Not sommeliers. Yeah, not sommeliers. I'm sure there's a few sommeliers out there that listen to us. Oh, I don't think so. You know? Do they even have the internet there? Oh, come on. I don't think so. Come on. Oh, man. No I saw country, Black Hawk Down. There were some people that were hooked up there. No country is more screwed than Somalia. You think it's pinnacle? Oh, my God. Pinnacle screwed? Pinnacle screwed. Like, I mean, Africa as a continent, we've, especially the white man, has definitely done a number on. I was just reading a thing about, um, oh, what was the Belgian king that was part of the colonialism of, of Africa and like the South Africa I'm not going to know. Zimbabwe, Rhodesia. I am not going to know. Not even close. Uh, it'll come to me like halfway through the podcast. And I'll be like, oh, it was... Blah, blah, blah. That's where that comes from. But it was just like killed like 5 million Africans during 
they're like colonization of Africa. Sure. You know, like, like Hitler level numbers. We don't really talk about it. Of course not. Because, you know, the people that died were, were all color. about history, not black history, right? Exactly. We just, we just whitewash over it. When I was leaving the UN, the last, that was right at the height of um, the Sudanese case coming to the International Criminal Court, which was going to be the very first true trial or true um, group of cases for that court as it had just been formed. And it centered around um, using kids as soldiers, children soldiers. Sure. And, uh, oh man, so messed up. So messed up. I don't remember if I managed to get this to link to your Facebook page, but my intention was, and I think I got distracted, but there was a story about the most checked out book at the UN's library being the book about it. I wouldn't say it was how to get away with being a ruthless dictator, but it was how to deal with being a, a ruthless dictator and it was like a, a thesis or something somebody had written about, like how they get away with, uh, like what things they can be tried for. Sure. And the fact that it was the most checked out book was kind of scary. Sure. Yeah. I'll have to find that story because yeah. I thought of you the first time. Anyways, this is this is great conversation, but has nothing to do with motorcycles. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, interesting thing today to get us on track. This week is the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which mm-hmm. is historically not something I would cover on asphalt and rubber because the motorcycle industry doesn't really show up to it. Uh, the automotive industry kind of got on the, the bandwagon uh, in the last um, five to ten years, and now we're starting to see the motorcycle industry do the same launching some some technologies and some items of interest at the show and trying to get some buzz in the in the general mainstream media. So that's that's been very much uh, the topic du jour for this week, and uh, I think we should talk about it first. Okay, start. Real quickly, Yamaha Motobot, the robot, or the motorcycle riding robot from Yamaha, is they had just announced at CES that they're going to be entering phase two of their development which we'll see uh, them trying to go around a closed circuit racetrack at over 200 kilometers an hour, which is like, I think, 125 miles per hour. Average? I don't know. I, I don't know. Okay. They All just right. say it. Speed's up to. Up yeah. to. They're going to ride around. They're going to ride around a racetrack. But the yep. interesting thing is, like, now they're adding in, like, GPS and accelerometers, and I, I would imagine using some sort of IMU technology to help the robot know where on the racetrack it is, what the motorcycle dynamics are, what the velocities and lane angles and everything like that are are uh, doing while it navigates around. And more interestingly, they're going to add in the ability for the robot to learn as it goes around, thus being able to improve its lap time. So Skynet's real, basically, is what the the takeaway on that article Have was. you seen the the videos of the Audi at Thunder Hill, the, the autonomous Audi? Mm, I don't think I saw I heard it's about Stanford. it. Stanford? Uh, so oh it, it yeah, I did too. It was, for Dar- it was for DARPA. DARPA? Yeah. DARPA? Is that from Lost, the show Lost? I can't. That's why I just had to like think for a minute because it's either the thing from Lost or it's the thing I'm thinking of. Dharma? That's Dar- No, it's DARPA. Department of Killing People <laughs> and Protecting <laughs> Our Country from Freedom. Defense Advanced Research Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. DARPA. That was many years ago, and it sounds many, but it was probably only 10, when they were, remember, there was like, we want to send a vehicle from 
uh, LA to Las Vegas in the desert. And it was like a big deal that people were trying to do. And now I think it's basically all the technology they were using then is now ubiquitous. We can drive a car from San Francisco to New York autonomously now. Right. Whereas this was a big deal doing it off road. Makes you wonder. We'd have to revisit that. Looking at back in that time, who was doing it? I know there was some motorcycle style entries. Although I think like like Stanford, I think eventually, I don't know if they were always partnered with Audi, but I know like they definitely were at a latter stage because their car did quite well. The one that that's what so to get back to on track, uh, yeah, no pun intended, was uh, that Audi was a TT or something like that, a racy yeah. car, yeah, and it was right. pretty impressive to watch a lap time. I can remember the lap time having circulated there fast on a on a race bike, thinking, "Wow, that's legit! Like that's no." It might not be hanging it out like a, a race car driver could, but the fact that it's even close, it's pretty cool. So it'll be interesting to see how motorcycle uh, Yamaha does it with a motorcycle, right? That, but you know, the robot that I seen on the pictures that we we have of it on that same runway that MythBusters uses, right, out in Alameda, it's all yeah. just you know, obviously the, the robot isn't articulated very much. The, that's for me the question is, are they going to get to the point where the robot can articulate to the point where it can put its knee on the ground? Seriously. I think that's, so. I think that's that the goal. That is a thing. That is a movement of weight to distribute it in such a way that it will help the motorcycle. Maybe. So this was the interesting thing. So I wrote a story when the Motobot came out and it was something like the three reasons why this is a really important story. Sure. You know, some clickbait headline that, you know, totally worked. <laughs> yeah. It was totally better than Buzzfeed, what I just articulated. It's asphalt and BuzzFeed. Yeah, we... we <laughs> Exactly. Um, but, you know, but that was one of the things is, you know, the reason this is such a big deal is that it gives Yamaha and, or any other motorcycle manufacturer that, that follows this sort of line of research, the ability to explore uh, rider dynamics and how body positioning affects the handling of the motorcycle and all that, because that's still very much a black box in the space. You know, and that's why we have so much conversation about Rossi dangling his leg and Marquez is, you know, leaning off the bike and Casey Stoner dragging an elbow and all that yeah, stuff sure. because like, it's really only a handful of people that probably really understand what's going on there. And even then it's probably more art than science. And so this is a very scientific way to make, um, to bring the scientific process into studying just how to ride a motorcycle faster and having that robot articulate itself and get its knee on the ground and move its body weight around at the and show the in a very quantitative way right what happens if you it know. moves itself forward an inch right backwards an inch right like where does the weight go which is you know? which is completely testable and repeatable which a yeah. test rider even the best test rider in the world can't can't sure. do it to that level sure so that's very interesting to to see them uh doing that and obviously the next the next step from going straight down a runway is to go around turns and yep their goal is by 2017, so that's pretty ambitious. So we'll see. Good on them. Go for it. Yeah. The last time we talked about it, I was kind of meh. You were still, you were still kind of meh, but whatever. If it, if I see the thing, like I told you, I think I said that when we were talking about it. Once I see the thing with the neon on the ground going around a racetrack, that'll get my attention. That will stoke me out because it's like, wow, that'll be legit. But I think it's going to get very hard to, to articulate a, a robot that's on top of a motorcycle just as hard it is for for whatever the honda robot is to go upstairs right so <laughs> that poor little guy still hasn't figured it out has he <laughs> uh moving on bmw had a couple interesting announcements um lasers freaking laser freaking beams. laser all i ask is some for some freaking laser beams put on some freaking k1000 lt blah 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 blahs. yeah so what we're talking about is bmw has which can be most accurately described as laser powered 
headlight technology. Oh, it's not actually shooting lasers at well, us. Well, so I'll tell you. So like the thing is, <laughs> pew pew pew. <laughs> Can we? Does it make the noise? I it want should. some pew pew it pews. I think right? that, I think that's where the the marketing department probably made a miss there. They're like, <laughs> no, no, we just wanted to light up the road. Like, are you sure you don't want like like a Star Trek sound or like a Star Wars? At least pew, call pew, it pew. call it a BMW pew pew pew. <laughs> I think they, they probably test group that and it didn't do too well. <laughs> no, okay, right. Um, so actually this technology has been around for a while. I think it goes back to 2011 when they first uh, announced it um, coming to the automotives uh, for, for... And you're saying that's actually on the seven, the current 7 Series, which is their flagship, right? I don't know if it's, if it's optional or standard equipment, but it's definitely uh, the 7 Series and the i8 can, can have it. And now they're still saying the technology isn't ready for motorcycles. So I don't know what they're really, sh what the real announcement at CES is other than to bring attention to the fact that they have this technology. Yeah. Um, but you know, they have a K 1600 GTL like flagship motorcycle with it on board and are obviously showcasing that, you know, this is something that's coming down the pipe. But uh, to get back to your question, no, it's not the lasers actually fire out of the headlight assembly, what actually happens is they have these blue lasers. And I think it's they have three laser emitting diodes, and huh. and they fire via you know a series of mirrors and, and sure. lenses sure. onto a, a piece of yellow phosphorus, and then that energy causes the yellow phosphorus to shine almost a perfect white. Hmm. I think it, I think it's like the most white light you can you can produce or it's one of the most white lights you can produce. So so this is another thing like it's actually really difficult to make white light. Like especially with LEDs because they sh they shoot only in a single wavelength. There's no white wavelength. White wave white light is all wavelengths of light, true white light. So that's kind of like a thing in in itself to try to achieve. Why is it got to be white light? Well, because if it was just like red and green light, it would be a different color. Okay. Just ask. I know, I know what you're trying to like back me into and I just refuse. <laughs> you make your racist jokes elsewhere, sir. <laughs> All right. This is a show. Hey, I'm just trying to this point is a out. show for families and kids. That's why we put the explicit button on it. <laughs> uh, right. The bottom line is it's true white light. Well, true as enough. true as it can be it's, with the technology they have with lasers. I want to say like like the light we see from the sun, I think is rated at 6,500 kelvins. I want to say like HID lights are usually around 6,000 kelvins, although there's a huge range for those. LED light, I think is the same. So this is getting pretty close to that that warmth or that color, that hue of of natural white light. I'm doing a little quote rabbit ears in yep. the bunny foo foo down the microphone all right is it any more expensive is does it put any more weight on the bikes you know i guess that's what i asked so to say with us so i don't know about the weight it's more compact than the led units which are pretty compact on themselves yeah and but they, they use less energy that's and good because these LED brighter. units are actually surprisingly heavy they're dense right because they have that the, well the, like the ducati one has like a ballast doesn't there's it? there's a lot well i don't know if you call it a ballast but yeah, the it's heat got a sinks yeah they've got a lot of heat sink so say a Panigale with the LED lights or the Multistrada 1200, the headlight units are like significantly lighter with just, that's why the, uh, the Panigale R started to come or I, I can't remember which models, 
but one of the Panigale super fast versions yeah. came with the, the 1199R, that, that generation. That R. one at least. Maybe the Panigale R as well came with just the standard headlight bulbs because it's lighter. And the, it's, uh, the, the right. idea was that most people would just be taking the headlights off if they're going to do track day stuff or whatever because it's notably lighter. But I think it's also a price point as well. They're like, well, shoot, anyway, we can we can do it under the auspices that, hey, we're making this bike lighter, but really, we're charging 30 something thousand dollars and you don't even get the LED. We're, we're making some <laughs> margins, what we're doing. Right on. Sucka. Good on for them. So yeah. that, but th- that's kind of an interesting thing is that they are heavier. They, they are more yeah. than they have to have that. Uh, you have to be able to vent them. So they have to be positioned in a specific way to have the heat sinks exposed. The, the demonstration model I saw, which could by no means be relevant to the, the production version, it, it didn't look like it needed any of that nonsense. It's just like you've got your, your lens impregnated with yellow phosphorus, you shoot the lasers into it, it glows because it's excited. I don't know if, if there's really a lot of heat coming off of it. There's, there's got to be, there's energy involved, but yeah. I don't know. I do know that the... the um, the high beam they were showing on the K1600 shoots like 300 meters down the road versus like 100 meters. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, that's the same legit. amount of energy. So, yeah, that's legit. Uh, and the other thing too, because it is, there's a lot of lenses involved. You can um, very carefully craft where you get illumination and where you don't. So you don't quite get that like, I'm high beaming you as you're coming me, coming sure. towards me kind of thing. Sure. So interesting piece of technology. We digress. Anyways, uh, another cool piece of technology that BMW was showing at the CES in Vegas was the heads-up display helmet that they're creating, which they seem to be fairly far along in developing. This is BMW or is it Schubert? No. Well, I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Like BMW traditionally has partnered a lot with Schubert when it when it has its BMW branded helmets as they do with a lot of things. I think AGV makes one or two helmets for BMW as well. Uh, the leathers, uh, that BMW used for a while was Dainese. I think now they're Alpine stars. BMW is partnered with Alpine stars for, uh, tech air airbag suits that are BMW branded. So, you know, and I th- a lot of companies do this. Ducati does this. Sure. KTM does this. Triumph does this. Um, you know, you see Speedy, Rev- Revit, Alpine Stars, Dainese, all making gear for yep. uh, OEMs. Yeah. So I don't know who's who's actually developing this. If this is a Schuberth technology being branded by BMW, but the fact that we haven't heard Schuberth really talk about it lends me to think that this is something that BMW is taking the initiative on. And um, you know, it's a very obvious design. It's a it's a sport bike helmet with a you know glass kind of yep. uh, but it Oculus. D- and it flips down. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I see. That's the thing. I, that's why I don't think the concept is is developed enough that they've really figured out how that articulates. But it's a fairly big piece of glass at the show on the um, on the little photos of, of the prototype that they're hawking around. But it's it's of note. I think not so much of what the details are, just the fact that someone outside of you know. A horrible startup company is is developing this technology and it's starting <laughs> to get pushed into the, the sphere. Was that a shot across the... Was that a... I don't know what you're talking about. Gully reference? Okay. You cray. You cray. <laughs> cray cray in the fey-fey. Not a fan of Scully. Let's just say that. Yep. Let's just say that. Leave it at that. But it is good to see more developed companies who I would actually trust with my sure. safety of my head. Uh, working on this kind of technology because let's let's be honest and this is this is all due 
credit to to companies like Scully and some other startups that I can think of who are probably not good companies, not good for the space, other than the fact that they are pushing the established brands yeah. to get their shit together. Um, Much like the electrics. Exactly. And that's right. exactly what I was thinking about in my head, where it's like, you know, there's a few kind of electric brands out there. And I, I can even think about uh, like TTXGP, the racing series. Yeah. There's a lot of like nonsense going on with that. And I don't know if it was necessarily good for the space, but it pushed you know, electric motorcycles to the forefront. So, yep. you know, full credit to them for that. And this is the same kind of way, like you know, say what you will about Scully and I can say plenty, but at least they're, they're forcing Bell and AGV and Schubert. And, you know, here we have BMW to look at this technology and say like, Hey guys, like we've been making basically the same helmets for like the last, I don't know, 50 years. Maybe it's time we start developing some technologies, start catching up with what the rest of the world around us is doing. Like, the fact that BMW even has us at CES where like you would expect to see heads sure. up display technology, sure. augmented reality technology, virtual reality technology being displayed, I think speaks volumes that at least are like, you know, someone's alive at the controls and is, is, you know, at least trying to make the appearance that the brand staying relevant with where the technological space is headed. So that's good. Yeah, sure. Um, on that same vein, uh, we saw company called 360 fly which i believe is owned by bell helmets as well but they partnered with bell and giro the the bicycle helmet manufacturers and i might have just mispronounced that because i'm not like a giro giro i'm pretty sure it's giro 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 d'italia yeah that makes sense i don't think it's gyro no you know what i mean no because it's got the the i yeah it could be a gyro gyro uh gyro we do we're gonna have to do a wonderlick on wonderlich Giro. No, I, I think you're right. I think it's Giro. Gyro. Well, that's the thing. We, we, as, as we discovered, depending on whose computer we use, she pronounces it differently. Sure. It's like there's like a Firefox Google Translate, <laughs> and like a Safari Google She's Translate. She's a Firefox. And, and then like Internet Explorer Google Translate, just like... <laughs> it doesn't even use words. It's just like sitting in the corner eating paste. Oh, the perils of not writing it and having people listening, right? Yeah. The perils of audio. I've got a voice for blogging. <laughs> let's just leave it at that um anyways sidetracked 360 fly they're making these really cool helmets uh or they're partnering i should say with helmet manufacturers to make these really cool helmets that have 360 degree video technology it's 4k video technology sitting around the top of the helmet so it's kind of like that idea of like the space noticing like hey i go out and i ride like, and you do this actually a lot too with you know you got your helmet with your or i should say you got your camera mounted to your helmet yeah. for your rides. So you can get the, sure. the whole thing going on. And like, you know, it just makes sense that we would have integrated helmets or integrated cameras into well, our so, helmets. So everybody understands what, what we're talking about. Most people might not have seen this type of video yet, but just recently within the past couple of months, there was a Blue Angels video mm-hmm. from a cockpit of a Blue Angel uh, F-18, a Hornet. Yeah. And it's it's going up with a bunch of other Blue Angels and you, as you're watching the video, can click on your, use your cursor to move the video from a forward view up, down, side, side to watch the other planes. Is It's unreal. It's, it's like it's full immersive it's VR. It's a pretty impressive yeah. thing. I mean, you have to use your mouse to do it. I don't know if there's any other way you would, but, mm, yeah. but at any point in time in the video, we're not talking about stills. It's like it's going and you can look left, right, just as you would have a helmet on. So this is the technology I'm assuming right. that they're using with this, which would be pretty cool if, say, on the top of a helmet, you've got it to where you're 
are riding your dirt bike and you want to look about what was happening to your left, to your right, behind you. That way, if you've got your buddy in the front and your buddy in the back and there's uh, like for me, if I had had that on when I, I was in, in uh, Alaska a couple like last year and I would have been able to capture the moose that was crashing through the woods next to me. And instead of just getting that one view from my GoPro, when I turned my head in horror to, to see if this thing was about to come at me, right? And I have this one, like this blurry blob of moose in the woods. Are you saying view. The, mo- the moose was loose? The, <laughs> the moose was loose. <laughs> so the moose was loose and it was going down and it was a full bull moose. I think bull's the right terminology. Yeah, 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 that sounds right. And, um, I have a video. I have video. Although of it. our Canadian readers should correct us if we're wrong, because we have one, at least one. La- a a a. Did, were we were we making fun of Canada last time? Uh, we when think, wouldn't I, we? Yeah, right? right. What's that all about? Hey, Canada. <laughs> Sorry. So, so yes, you, you know what Canada is really for. Let's be honest. What is it for? Cold, you know, like the Cold War. That's yeah. where we're going to shoot down all the Russian missiles. It's just <laughs> right. like, that's, just, that's what Canada's just for. just scatter Canada just with like, remnants and dirty bombs of blown up missiles. Star Wars. That's where Star Wars that's was exactly. supposed to happen. And I feel like... I never like, thought about that. That's exactly what it would be. I say it as a joke, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. <laughs> it is. If we're going to be attacking missiles coming up from over in Russia, that's where it's going to be coming. you got to shoot them down somewhere, <laughs> and I'm sure as fuck we're not going to be shooting them down over American soil. Yeah. So, right. sorry, Canada. Thanks for being good sports about and, it. And, and Anyway, it's not like Northern Washington, Montana, North Dakota, uh, and um, Minnesota aren't just basically Southern Canada anyway, right? So, yeah. Right. I don't think they like to be referred to that way, though. <laughs> Southern Canada. Can you think of like a worse insult? No, I don't know. I like Canadians. So it's I like love, Southern I love California Canadians, is just Northern Mexico, right? It really is. Sorry, but it's true. With better roads. <laughs> less donkey shows <laughs> <laughs> although if you're, if you're in west hollywood at the right hour and you got enough money <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh boy this show's gonna get us into trouble you know what? i know uh, all right so uh, let's wait, not uh, show this to any of the advertisers this show didn't happen no, as far as advertisers no. are concerned <laughs> unless it's corona uh, maybe corona would be all about it right <laughs> Certain the, the donkey show of beers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where how did we go off on that one? That one's a deep, pretty deep one. I don't even remember one. where we started. We need to come up with a two enthusiast rabbit hole drinking game. Yeah, you know, like oh, they the donkey show. Yeah, that's that's three shots. <laughs> three shots of tequila. It's every Quentin pun. That's that's just one shot. Those happen a lot. Sure, no, that's easy, right? But you get in the donkey show. Canada, sh- that's Canada full joke. on three shots of anejo. Total good tequila. Yeah, three three sixty fly. Three. Oh, that's right. There we go. So I would I would look into that. I know that sounds it's cool. strange. It's cool. Technology. But instead, of, like if somebody said, "Ooh, Scully, you get a heads up display." Whatever, I could give a shit. But if somebody said, "Hey, this camera is something that I've been attaching horribly," I hate putting GoPros on ca- right. on, on helmets because right. it's not an elegant solution. It's, it's horrible on every level, but it's a necessary evil if you want to film you yourself and go out and have fun. Right. I have been wondering for years why a helmet company doesn't have a like a little vestibule to stick a GoPro in the chin bar. Like, and have vents that go around the sides of it. I wonder the same thing about motorcycles. Like, 
why am I trying to like get some crazy mount on like the front of my bike where the vibrations are the worst and yeah, like on sure. the tail section? Why are the bikes that I'm buying not have some sort of integrated camera solution? But that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it's an interesting um, uh, discussion for sure. The helmet thing, I have thought about seriously cutting up an existing helmet because, you know, I don't, the front vents are there and I definitely would use them. But from a structural standpoint, I'm pretty sure I could cut a place for my GoPro to Velcro in or put in somehow. And I would be good video from a position on my helmet that I like, not from the top, not from the side. Uh, and I, I think it would work, right? Anyway, that uh, we digress, but that's that's part of this is that they're doing it, and they're basically saying, "Hey, this camera is yeah. going to function fully from the top of the helmet, not look stupid, and and do it all the way around, right on." Let's get it. the the killer app for this is going to be because like I I've definitely played with that Blues Angels uh, video that you're talking about, and I've, and I've seen a couple others, and for me on my computing experience, like it's not very good video like it's really choppy for me sure navigating is really hard like it's just the cpus are just crunching way too hard to do that but have you heard of the oculus vr goggles yeah i have a buddy f that i went to high school with in texas that has something to do with them and i, I should probably investigate with him it's like hey he's probably rich well he, he i know he's he's been involved with them or another company similar to this in los yeah. angeles for a long time and they're it's a big deal, yeah. but I, that's the first thing somebody said at the shop today when this was brought up and I was like, oh, that sounds like a recipe for me to puke because I'm pretty sure if I put a, a set of goggles on and then had one of these videos on and I could look around, that just sounds like vertigo central. I haven't gotten a chance to play with, with Oculus itself, but I, I've got a couple of friends that, that are working with it and, and have some units. So I need to. Sounds bum. like you I need, need to, to figure out a video. way to get that shit tested. I know, but, it, but it's that idea of like, okay, so you have these very high quality, truly VR immersive VR goggles that are, the price point's still pretty brutal, but it'll come down with time. I think the cool thing with Oculus when they first started it was you could take, I don't know if it was one or two Samsung phones and that was your view screen. Yeah. And so that was like kind of a cheap way of making it happen. But, but I would imagine like having like a true goggle setup like that, that's going to be the new way of watching your video. Like, okay, now you're in that VR environment. When you turn your head left, you're viewing the video left. When you turn your head right, you're viewing the yeah. video right. So like, you know, like sure. I'm just thinking like doing a lap around Thunder Hill or PIR or wherever. And I've got, you know, filling it with this 360 fly helmet and I can come home and I say, Quentin, you got to check out, you know, this, this turn where I got check totally, my lap. Yeah. yeah, I got, I got just hammered by, you know, some dude on a 125 two stroke just flew right past me and you can watch him, you know, from your perspective, come from behind me and past me at or the apex. Or even you and, as the person that's looking forward, yeah, concentrating, you can go back to that video and see where did that person right. make time on me? Yeah. Right. Where did that person yeah. come in? That or, Where did they get me so that I can get faster? Now? How hard did I stuff them when I did that pass? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting thing. That's hmm. to be, to be honest, like looking forward, that's the future of TV. Well, I was about to say, this needs to be on all MotoGP bikes. Can you How imagine? How epic. I mean, like, let's be fair. First of all, Dorna, probably about 20, 30 years behind the time. So we'll see <laughs> this in like 2100 AD. Um, but it'll be epic when you do it. Like when Valentino Rossi the third is racing, this is going to look great. Poor Dorna. Oh, poor bastards. Well, you you would think Ecclestone and Formula One will adapt to this, this quicker. That'll be first. 
Yeah. And that fits too with the market of like, you know, Formula One being kind of more posh and it's, this is going to be a toy for the rich for the next few years. Yeah. Well, that's the question is how much is this helmet going to be? Do they say anything about it? Oh, I didn't see anything. In fact, I got to reach out to them and see if I can get my dirty hands on one of these things. Yeah. Um, Cause that's pretty cool. Yep. I'm all about it. I agree. Um, and to that, and to that, like, if you don't want to do the, the integrated camera helmet route, or if you're doing other things besides just uh, motorsports, cause they have a, well, obviously, so Giro's bicycles, but they also, with Bell, they're doing a road bike and a dirty bike version of their helmets. So I think it's the, yeah. oh, I'm forgetting the name, whatever their top level road helmet and top level dirt bike helmets are yeah, with I'm the integrated 360 fly. I as, just, as I'd never owned a Bell, I totally brain farted. Good, good helmet for the price, I will say. Yeah, totally. Um, so, but does that say like Nikon came out with uh, its own 360 4K camera? Um, that's about the same form factor as, as a GoPro. Yep. So that'll be square. It's a little square. square. Well, yeah, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a cube, but it's square. Yeah. And so it's got a camera that faces to the front and it's got a camera that faces to the back and they've got wide angle lenses. And then it sounds like they're using software to stitch those into a true, well, not a true, it'd be a false, um, 360 video experience so that certainly seems to be where the space is going at ces right now which is i think very interesting that's it for ces uh i think you had some listener questions you wanted to tackle yeah all right so um we got one question in particular that was interesting uh it was a customer oh, a customer listener <laughs> sorry listener um we had a listener that wanted to know about quick shifters and how it affected transmissions uh, especially relative to the R1 uh, transmission failure recall, right. right? And I had sent him an email. I don't know if I told you that. I sent him an email, quick, a quick email answering it. But I think what you're about to say probably is more accurate and probably contradicts everything I said. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. Don't, <laughs> we can say, compare don't taint it by, by telling me what it is. Um, here's the deal. Quick shifters, yes, are actually quite hard on transmissions, especially if they are poorly set up and used in the wrong manner, which is what boggles my mind that both BMW and Ducati and is it Yamaha? Does that have a quick shifter? Yeah, as, it as does. The R1 on, does, yeah. On the R1 standard and R1M? The R1M and the R1 have it. The R1S does not. Okay. So, but so any R1 that was sold this past year has a quick yep. shifter. So it does boggle my mind that they're able to do this and make a, a warrantable bike because for years i mean ducati's been doing it but ducatis have fairly robust transmissions only the 1098r that was the first time we started to see gear failures in racing scenarios right of a transmission that was largely designed in 1979 so the gear sizes basically the structure of the gearbox has been the same thing on all these Ducati twin engines, and, and all the way from 1979, the first uh, rubber band engines we so call what, them. What tractor model was that that it debuted <laughs> on? <laughs> it was a mud pump. Yeah, <laughs> we're making goozy jump jokes about Ducatis. That's wrong. We shouldn't be making goozy jokes about that, right? That's well, in well, Lamborghini. Lamborghini started out with farmer. They're tractors too. for sure. They were, they were literally see, tractors. You see a picture of a Lamborghini tractor. You want a Lamborghini yeah, tractor. Yeah, that's fair enough. You're like, I would drive that down the road there because no, that looks wicked. They got nothing on John Who Deere. Who would make yeah. a white 
tractor. An Italian company that makes supercars would make a white tractor, right? Anyway, so um, this engine's based seriously. It's the if you if you drew out a Ducati engine from 1979, a Dharma, uh, uh, any one of the ones that's not a bevel drive, the centers for all the transmission shafts are in the same spot relative to the crankshaft, same spot, everything, right? So the shift mechanism's the same, all that stuff. So it took until the 1098. R, which had, you know, 100 and probably 70 horsepower at the crank, uh, to break, finally start breaking gears, but only in like nasty situations where they're being pushed to the limit, <coughs> track duty. So, um, the, the Ducati transmission lends itself to it because it's pretty robust, right? So, uh, <clears throat> what happens though is you're basically cutting it out. Let's, let's talk about what a quick shifter sure, does sure. is as you are accelerating, you can click the gear, uh, click the, the sh shift in from first to second, second to third, third to fourth, fourth, fifth, fifth to sixth. And any one of those, there is a cutout. Um, I don't know the, exactly most of its ignition, and it has been for years, where you have an ignition cutout during that time. And there's the subtlety there is how long it cuts out for you know, what the mechanism is that is, it is, that is triggering it. And then how long it's getting cut out for, because if you cut it out the same amount of time, and we're talking milliseconds, not anything more than that teeny amounts of time. So a millisecond from first to second is a different than the shift that you'd be doing from fifth to sixth. So you, a rudimentary older system would just be the same thing in all gears and you would have to kind of find the sweet spot in the middle of them. And then it would kind of be, eh, you know, going from first to second, but then it would be perfect from third to fourth. And then it would maybe be back to eh, fifth to sixth, <clears throat> but only somebody that's super sensitive could tell. Most racers are click, 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 click. You know, they'd be just accelerate full bore shift without lift. They call it in the car world shift without lift where you don't lift the throttle it's a continuous power, right? right? And to be fair, before quick shifters came about, guys were already doing it on the racetrack, just jamming their the shifter through to a point, and then you do transmission damage over time. Yeah. So if if the listeners will recall my you know, valiant attempt at explaining a constant mesh transmission <laughs> during our R one recall the discussion, <clears throat> the dogs and slots that are part of what are hooking up with each other while the, all the rest of those gears are meshed, those dogs and slots are what are taking a beating and they will round off. You can still shift most of these transmissions once some of these parts have rounded off even a little bit, but eventually it's going to start popping out of gear, um, especially if the those dogs and slots have not been undercut, which is a very specific machine process that's fairly trick and very difficult to do and time-consuming. So most, most manufacturers don't do it, but this undercutting basically creates a, uh, a more of a, a mechanical lock between the dog and the slot. So that's a good thing. And a, and a lot of manufacturers that want to do it right have had to, to go to that extra length to make sure that when their quick shifter um, is functioning, that <clears throat> there is that more positive engagement between the gears. So yes, there is a problem with this. If somebody's asking, hey, does a quick shifter uh, do damage? It can do, especially if you're shifting as a as the a consumer, and this is what boggles my mind is how Ducati and BMW have managed to do this, 
is to make a shifter that works fairly well when you're putting around town. Right. And you're just doing a partial throttle and you're just going from first to second and clicking in and it works. We'll take it one step further because now we have up and down. Yeah, quick well, let's, that was next. Uh, let's, take, yeah, I didn't want to get ahead. into that yet, but yeah, that's another part of it. It's less so going down though. You got to remember that <clears throat> off throttle, the rear wheel is is turning basically the rear the rear wheel is what is 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 the more important factor instead of the engine so the engine power matching the rev to the rear wheel is one thing the rear wheel matching to the engine that's another especially if you have a compliant element such as a slipper clutch involved right so i don't know what bmw's mechanism is but i know ducati's say on a 1299 which has the up and uh, down shifter um it has that little bit of a give because it has that servo style um, slipper mechanism still it's not it's not functioning as a slipper uh, as much as in, in in the past years but it's still a slipper it still does take the force going from the rear wheel through the chain through the uh, counter shaft and doesn't allow it get to get to the crankshaft so that when you're downshifting you're not you're not making the engine accelerate as much it still does so that blip of throttle that's happening when the quick shifter is when you're shifting down and then the quick shifter tells the ECU to cut out briefly while, or in this case, blip is that's what's happening right, right. Uh, with the BMW and the Ducati. It's given a little burp. And so that way it matches the rev between the rear wheel and the engine so that it just is a seamless. Uh, and this is when I say seamless, it's not a seamless gearbox. Like no, we're no, hearing no. about in MotoGP. I don't even want to touch that. I'm just saying that's not what this is. This is a quick shifter that is, uh, um, uh, seamless as in it is it is not readily apparent to the rider what's going on yeah right so i rode uh shane turpin's tricked out r1 uh with an up and down shifter at sure. chuck walla the the first time i was there and riding around that was an aftermarket unit and i don't know which unit it was but it was that was the joke and that's why he wanted me to ride it was once you launch the bike with the clutch you do not have to you use don't have to use the clutch anymore and it was ridiculous how smooth that that setup was whatever he had to do to get it dialed in or whatever that quick shifter manufacturer did to to make the system the way it is it, it blows the the oem stuff out of the water it was ridiculous because it, it was like butter you just go click 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 yeah because they, click, click, they click. were able to get within a nat's ass of every yeah. single gear and shane because he's a, a, a extremely accomplished racer and a good development rider. He was part of the CIS effort, yeah. uh, et cetera. And just a good dude in general. Absolutely. Because of that, I mean, a cerebral rider for sure. He was, he's probably able to tailor it. So uh, cr all credit to the person that, that developed the thing, but also to the rider that gets it set up right. I mean, he might say, oh, well, that's not, I didn't do a thing. Fair enough. But whichever way I would, I would say a lot of rider feedback. That was the thing for us, say at Graves, man, the difference between quick shifters, we were sponsored by DinoJet. And at the time, DinoJet's uh, quick shifters were not quite up to snuff. They mm. weren't as good as the the kit ones we would get from Yamaha. Call it consumer grade. Let's call it consumer grade. Sure. So the consumer grade stuff we were getting it wasn't horrible, but the they were, you know, one rider would be fine with it. The next rider would be like, I hate that. Yeah. So I don't remember who. Maybe Jamie Hacking was fine with it, or I know bull in a bull in a China shop. Jason DeSalvo didn't give a shit, but 
Aaron Gobert was like, that thing's shit. I can't, I don't have the feet because he was, oh, poor little sensitive rider, right? So you had to, you had to, we had to switch him. I'll never forget it. We had to switch him because that shifter, between the two quick shifter mechanisms, which are like little Hall effect sensors or spring actuated, um, it's, it's tough to describe. Each one has a different thing. I mean, shoot, I had one that was a piezoelectric switch that was on my Street Fighter uh, 1098 that I had that was a Ducati performance. It was the best one I've ever used bar none would love to. Ha- I kept it. I still have that one. I'd love to put it on another bike. Cause it, it, it I don't even want, I, it's hard for me to describe how sensitive it was, but you could play with it and then you could tighten it and loosen it and it would work really well. And it got set up perfectly for riding on track. But when I was riding in the street with it, it just, there's no way to make it perfect. Cause yeah. you can't, you can't expect it to do all that stuff, but with the algorithms and these new ECUs, you can expect that, and that's why we're able to see this. They're right? certainly getting a lot better. I, I will say from from I've hopped on the RSV4 had one. I've ridden the the 1199, 1299 MV Augustas. Almost all the MV Augustas now come with it, at least as optional equipment, if not standard. All the high end ones, I believe, it comes standard. Not necessarily with blip downshift, though, right? I'd have to double check. But we're all talking for most of everything is acceleration up. Yeah, most of them. But that's the thing. Up and down is becoming, that's the new thing. I, I would I would guess in like two years, if you don't have an up and down quick shifter on, on your super bike and, and on your, I don't know about super sport, but on your super bike, you're going to be behind the curve. It's so funny to, for me to think about this. I, I remember when quick shifters were illegal in AMA uh, 600 racing. I mean, it was something that it wasn't, it's not that expensive. And even at that time, it wasn't that expensive. It was just hocus pocus to some people. And they didn't want that to be one other thing that the factories had on the, on the privateers. Yet it was something that, that you could put on fairly inexpensively. So eventually it got allowed. But I remember, I remember that day. I don't know. This would have been maybe year 2000, 2001. It doesn't seem that long ago to me, but it's funny to be thinking about going from that to uh, what is on street bikes and me riding, uh, I don't know, six months ago, I got to ride back to back a BMW S 1000 RR H something or other. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't remember whatever the super whammy one is that blips throttle and then back to back it with a Panigale and man, it's unreal how good that BMW was, but you had to turn your brain off. You had to not try and blip the throttle, yeah. which was hard for me. Right, because I'm so used to doing it. That's part of the deal. I have a quick shifter on my 48 race bike, but I don't have the blippy thing. So I'm going down the road and I'm trying to blip, but it it screws up if you do that. Right, because you have to turn it off. Yeah. You have to turn your brain off. Close the throttle as you're going through the corner and just let the shifter do it yourself. And it does it. But then you get on a Panigale, the 1299, and it still would allow you to blip. Like if you if you didn't remember then you'd, you'd still be okay. And that's that's the difference between a company that's making motorcycles for freaking robots and one that's making them still for human beings. That wow. was what I, that's what I saw, wow. right? That BMW was just, they, they want to make a bike for an automaton, right? Whereas Ducati wants to still make it for passionate riders, in my opinion. That's the way that worked. I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But I okay. will say I had an, an interesting conversation with Jason Pridmore about the rise of quick shifters and slipper clutches and blipping throttles and things like that. And just, you know, it's, sure. it's just one Rider more thing. Aids. It's just one more thing that it's, um, you know, blipping the throttle and doing all that. That was the style, let's say 10 years ago. 
probably probably a little bit longer farther back. And now that you know we have these, what do you mean, blipping the throttle downshift? Yeah. What do you mean the st- it's it's a necessary thing from the event of a motorcycle engine, right? It is, but <clears> but <throat> you've had the, to match revs but, but since the slipper the, clutch since the teens, right? You're right, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Since but the that's, 19 teens. But that's exactly my point. Where now technology is coming in with slipper clutches and down, you know, quick shifters that go up and down and auto blip like. That's not something you you have to learn as a, as a no, skill, no, as a skill sure. set anymore. It's like the picture today. There was a picture of a stick shift. Is the meme on on Facebook was a stick shift, and it said a millennial anti theft device. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no millennial can drive a stick shift. It's the same thing, right? With this, no, if somebody got on an older bike, you put somebody on a super bike from from the mid eighties. Uh, you would you would think it'd be tough for a lot of these guys to get on a bike or girls to get on the bike and and ride the way they would have to to make it go faster. But I'm sure that they'd adapt. I guarantee you, if you put Mark Marquez on any era of bike, he'd be just fine after riding it X amount of time. Right. Well, it's funny that you bring up Mark Marquez because I went digging for this story because a little light bulb went off my head. So back in 2012, our good friend David Emmett wrote a story about. Mark Marquez's Moto2 team allegedly cheating and what they were doing, they were, they were the accusation that was made against them was that they were using an illegal engine map. Yep. And so, you know, Moto2 spec engine, spec ECU. And they figured out a way to like piggyback something in through the quick shifter. So it's an interesting thing that, that through the quick shifter, they were able to do something that changed the, the timing and, Sure. Could do all little, little, little extra yeah, something, something. Only when you have shifted does it do it. Like only when you put your foot and click, clink, then it does something. Maybe I could see that. Sure. That's a far cry from uh, somebody that I know that raced GSXR 1100s or 750s back in the early 90s. And, you know, you weren't allowed to have a, uh, like a, an ignition box at the time that DinoJet would make an ignition box. So you'd find it. It'd be easy. You'd be on the bike somewhere if you had it, unless you took the instrument cluster apart and stuffed the ignition box in the instrument cluster. And on all the wiring that goes to the instrument cluster, you know, you'd, you'd rewrap the wires. So there it is. Your, your, your significantly different ignition timing for all RPMs would be stuffed in there. Right. That was a good cheat. No, that doesn't sound legal at all. No, it was a great cheat, but that's a, that's phenomenal. Like the fact that they went to the effort to rewire yeah. the whole bike to do that, right? I, I feel like I totally know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so where do we where do we land with the the quick shifters as far as so if I put a quick shifter or I get a new bike with a quick shifter, do I have to worry about my gearbox? Yeah, you do. You you have to have some mechanical sympathy, I think, because if you miss shifts and or or shift outside of the design parameters of these things. Most of these things are, are designed to be full throttle upshift at high RPM, right? So the difference in physics is you'd think, well, that's high RPM. Why? That would be worse on it every time. Well, not if that's where the, the kill time is designed. So if the kill time isn't sophisticated, so on a Panigale, on a BMW, these ones that are made to do it and are, are as shipped stock, they figured out a way to do it pretty well. The question for me is, what happened with Yamaha makes me wonder, is Yamaha replacing all these gear parts, making up for the fact that you can't 
you can't take stupid away from every motorcycle ride. Shave the tolerance a little too far. Yeah. Maybe. So they, they probably had the design set up this again, this is all speculation for, you know, perfection. And you don't get perfection when you, when you sell these bikes, when you go to the United States and you can sell an R1 to some booger eating moron that's 18 years old and has the money and then get out and they don't know how to ride. And they're just banging through the gears recklessly and not understanding that they, they might not be, uh, using the bike in the in the way it should be, and therefore end up screwing up gears because their quick shifter, which should be working at thirteen thousand RPM, is trying to be function at four or whatever, right? And again, that's speculation. I haven't ridden one of these things, so I don't know. But I know that works pretty well in the BMW, and it works pretty well in the Ducati. And even when I put one on, you know, aftermarket ones on, they work pretty well. But the one say I put on my Street Fighter. Every once in a while, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't be thinking about it. And I do an upshift and I just, it, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be thinking about it. And you could hear that you could feel that gear really mm-hmm. just digging into the other gear as it goes into place. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I just took some life off of that gear for sure. I'll tell you from my experience, hopping on bikes the last seven years professionally for, for asphalt and rubber, I have seen a definite increase in the elegantness of, of the quick shifter systems that are being offered on motorcycles. Like I look at the ones that are coming out now, especially like BMW, Ducati, uh, MV Augusta, even MV Augusta, like even like the last two, three years, the bikes I've hopped on, you can see the improvement that they're, that they're making with their system. Um, increasingly getting better and better and better and more seamless. And, and like, and you know, when I go out and ride them, I'm trying to trip them up. I want to see where the limitations are. If I lug around at 3000 RPM and hit that quick shifter up, what's it going to do? And, you know, the earlier systems, it was kind of nasty. And now, like, you've seen some of these bikes are pretty smart about it or although, or they just won't do the quick shift. They're like, no, you're not you're not doing anything enough for me to, to do that. Try they have figured out the, clutch the balance idiot. of electromechanical, and it is an electromechanical situation for sure. One last thing I'll say about this is uh, when I was a rep for, for Ducati and I was the one approving warranties, there was a situation, and I can't remember the shop. I'm pretty sure it was probably the shop I work at now, Moto Corsa, where a, a customer came in with a major transmission failure on a, a either 848, 1098, 1198, something like that. And they had had an aftermarket quick shifter on it. It wasn't a Ducati performance part. It was an aftermarket thing, and it was might have been a piggyback system. But I had to deny a warranty on that once I saw. On that it, ground. You can imagine the you know when we don't get failures like that very often and we did we'd see them on uh say like i said 1088 rs that were raced period mm-hmm. right never a street bike well not even track day bikes but if they were beaten up raced they would every once in a while and you'd replace it with an 1198 transmission because they addressed it by the time the 1198 came on so the, the 1198 is thicker gears better design on in every way shape or form a little bit heavier but not that much um but that's the way to go. Like you would always get an 1198. But even then, even then, somebody that's ham-fisted enough or dumb enough to pr- not program the, the quick shifter right could still launch one of these transmissions, sure. This case, though, was was like a street ride or a track day or something. And it smelled fishy. And when I dug a little deeper, found out that they had a quick shifter on and I had to deny the warranty. And it caused a stink. But I'm sorry, you put aftermarket parts on a bike that completely changed the dynamic and you expect Ducati to pay for something that's not materials or craftsmanship. No way. Right. It's, it's tantamount to putting on a, a a bizarre ECU control unit that allows it to rev more. Right. So if you put on 
an extra 100 RPM on a bike whose design target is 12,000 RPM, it it's a huge amount more stress and force at 12,100 RPM. And you have just completely eradicated the warranty. You know, that's easy. It's an easy defense for sure. So that's a good, two good examples of what you can do uh, modifying a bike. People are like, oh, well, I didn't even, I didn't do anything. I'm just trying to make the fueling better. I mean, as I put my pipe on, uh, even if they say, oh, I put a Terminioni on or I put a, uh, whatever the uh, Yamaha GYTR and they go get it mapped They're They think they're making it better, but not always. Right. So it's a, that's a complication, uh, that I figured it'd be good to bring up. Uh, I think the only thing I'll add is Kevin Cameron wrote a great article about this for cycle world and he addressed this issue specifically. I would recommend everyone getting on. Was that an older one? Where was that? No, no, no. It's, this is within the last year. Okay. Uh, I would, I'm sure I read it. I'm, I would, I'm, I'm sure like you to, did too. I'll, I'll send it to you if I can find it again, but yeah, go to cycleworld.com. I think they have a search engine. I don't know. Cause it's cycle world. I can't say for certain without sure. double checking, but it's, as always, Kevin Cameron has probably forgotten more about motorcycles than you and I have combined I together. I say in our heads. absolutely with great reverence that Kevin Cameron is probably the best technical motorcycle rider, if not not just technical. I like reading anything he has to say. Always have, always will, and that's one of the few times where I've been like in awe of somebody is standing at the wall at Laguna Seca and looking over and seeing that guy and being like, like I can't, I couldn't talk. Right. I didn't like I should have said, hey, Kevin, I, I love your stuff. But like, this is, you know, this is 10, 15 years ago, but I couldn't even bring myself to you. Right? There's not too many times where I've been. I don't know. What is that? Starstruck. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great dude. Really cool guy. I like Kevin. I like Kevin a lot. I see him at the races and, and like a fun, a fun story. Like he would never I don't think he would ever toot his own horn, but um, that's why he's cool. That's why he's cool. Totally. There, I heard a really I'm trying to remember. Was it the HRC press guy that was telling me? I think it was. Is either a colleague, is either a journalist, a colleague, or a press colleague, who's telling me the story that you know he goes in. This was at like Indianapolis or Austin the last couple of years, like two three years ago, and he's having a a one on one interview with Mark Marquez. And usually, like Mark Marquez has to deal with idiots like me. Like, hey, Mark, what's your favorite color? <laughs> what's your favorite turn at Catalonia? What's your favorite motorcycle brand? You know, like just stupid questions. <laughs> Who's your favorite band? Um, well, I want to know. I want to know. I mean, the people want to know some of that fluff. Some of that like right. is interesting. And but as long it, as it's combined with what you're probably about to say. So, but that's the thing. Like Kevin Cameron, I forget, I forget the exact question it was, but it was like, oh, Mark, I was sitting on the wall at turn 14 and I noticed that you blip the throttle with like your pinky finger. Is that because of the vibrations through the handlebar? Da, 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 da. Like some, something that only Kevin Incredibly Cameron could perceive. question. Sure. And, and Mark Marquez, like the, my colleague was telling me his eyes lit up. Cause like, he, he realized like this wasn't going to be one of those stupid interviews. He broke out of the fog of war, the yeah. fog of PR war. Cause it was like, someone was like <laughs> recognizing like, you know, some stroke of genius that probably only a dozen people in the world could notice. And uh, at the end of the interview, you know, he turns to the, I think it was the press guy that was telling me, he turns to the press guy and goes, I wish all my interviews were like this. Yeah. Cause that's fucking Kevin Cameron. Sure. Cool dude. Smart dude. And then like, I think every conversation I've ever had with him at some point, like within five minutes turns into like, kind of like how we get into our rabbit holes. Yeah. It, it rabbit holes in something else. Like I remember having like a 20 minute conversation about steam engines and locomotive engines with him. Sure. I think that started with, Hey Kevin, how's your day? <laughs> He knows a lot about a lot of things. It's a pretty cool thing to do. 
Yeah, so pick up uh, Top Dead Center. I think that's his book, one of them. If he, I think he has multiple books. I know the Top Dead Center is one of them. So again, for listeners that are interested, yeah. beyond just reading his column, I think Top Dead Center is a kind of a collection of a lot of his columns. I can't remember exactly. I have it at home. It's been a couple of years since I've read it. But of course, it's well worth because it's all it's condensed and concentrated. Kevin Cameron. Super good information to um, to chew on. Like that's that's for me. Whenever I read his stuff, I have to chew on it for a while because sure, it's very thought provoking, and sometimes it's over your head. Even if you're in it, like me, uh, some of it's like, oh my god. Let's be honest, Quentin. Most of it's over my head. Fair enough. I'm just happy it's in English. <laughs> right. Do we have anything else to uh, chat about? I think we're out of time. I think we'll, we've got some more listener questions to get through in sure. the coming uh, shows. Um, the one thing I forgot to do at the start of the podcast, because I still haven't quite mastered how to start the show is if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating. If you're not following us on Facebook and Twitter, please do so. If you want to send us an email, and it's good, send it to two enthusiasts at asphaltandrubber.com. If it's bad, send it to administrator at penisland.com. <laughs> penisland.com is a de- that's a definite, it'll help us out greatly if you're not all about it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I will say that I like getting the stuff through Facebook because it's quick and easy for me as a, as one of the two enthusiasts that doesn't really like I, Maybe I should get hooked up with the asphalt and rubber one, but bottom line is get on Facebook, ask us questions, will or or pose them for us to talk about. Uh, that would stoke me out. Fun fact: I do believe Facebook is touting the the notion that we get back to you within thirty minutes if you message us on Facebook. That's the statistic. Facebook know. itself is. Yeah, well, no, because like Facebook has like a little rating on how quickly you respond to people's sure. via their message, and apparently we get back to people within thirty minutes on okay, average, fair enough. which is pretty good. Yeah. I think that's, I don't think I'm doing it. I think that's all you. Yeah, well, I'm sitting in front of a computer all day. You know, I guess you are too. Yeah, I kind of am. Sure. Every now and then I'm on the computer. So with that said, um, kick stands up. Oh, nuts. <laughs> I get so many emails. So oh. I have a kick stand up. I just, well, at least, argh. at least it's not chest tears up. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm glad you reminded everyone about that because I was kind of hoping in the hour and a half long show that that whole nonsense at the beginning just got like etch-a-sketched out of it. (laughs) Great. Thanks. Good talk. See you out there. Chest hairs up. (laughs) Fuck. That's so gross. That's so gross. (laughs) Nuts. <laughs> <laughs>